and he will be glorified and exalted in the nations. Look up Psalm 46 and read on. I will be exalted in all the nations. Hallelujah. God is good. He takes ordinary men and women who love Jesus and he transforms our life. And he doesn't intend us to be living in defeated lives. And he doesn't intend the church to be divided. He intends us to be united. Isn't that wonderful? There is a stirring in the church of Jesus Christ in our nation of Scotland right now. Hallelujah. Come Lord Jesus. Come Holy Spirit. And I just want us to join in in the prayer. That's all I want for us. Not to be living in this with our eyes down. But up to the Lord. Just move on to the next slide. I've lost my clicker and all that. <laughs> Don't know what I've done. That's fine. I just want to do some reflections on the gospel and just trust this might be helpful today for all of us. The mic's not on. Okay, that's fine. Too much technology, isn't it? I work with technology, but it's the being of my life half the time. But you need it for Zoom and all these things. So, Father, I just pray that your word might be spoken today just really clearly, really straightforward, but with power and by your Holy Spirit. I pray also you'll help Uncle Sandy and Sheila as they come and share. Also help Gillian and Elizabeth. We pray as they're going to sing a duet following that. And Lord, continue with us, we pray, and through into communion. We just pray that your name might be honoured, that we might clearly understand and receive the good news that's been spoken about today in Jesus' name. Amen. So just thinking about very simply reflections of, of this gospel and what it means. Gospel is a word that when I was brought up, <laughs> our church was called the Gospel Hall, and that was a term that people seemed to understand. But I would suggest that maybe nowadays we don't see too many buildings with gospel on it. <laughs> Um, the gospel simply means good news, the heralding of some aspect of good news, and in relation to our faith, the gospel is the good news about our Saviour Jesus, and heralding that message. Good news is not meant to be held in, is it? It's, you just hold in good news, you hear good news for you, and then you just keep it to yourself, do you? That would be kind of selfish. If you hear good news, especially if it's good news that is available for everybody, and you've received something that's good news to you in terms of your salvation, in terms of your Saviour, the, the thing that is right and proper to do, and the thing that we're commanded to do, is tell it to others who haven't heard it yet. And I've said this a few times, but there's literally bad news everywhere. We need more than ever before for Ordinary men and women like us, which is what the church is, by the way. An army of ordinary people, as the hymn writer says. Well put, well put, level ground, we're all the same. We're all sinners, fall short of the glory of God, according to the book of Romans. All fall short. But come to faith because of Jesus, because of his grace. So I'm really glad that the church is not a pedestal system with a hierarchy, although it requires leadership, yes. It is a level ground at the cross of Jesus Christ. All must be saved through Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. But you know something? The average person on the street does not know that, has not heard that, is not hearing that from the media, is not hearing that from their neighbour. So therefore, the urgency is on making sure we understand it and making sure we're sharing that. Make sense? Let's move on to the next slide, please. It's not clicking. There it is. Yeah, just turn to 1 Corinthians 15, just very briefly here. 
then I'll be handing over to Uncle Sandy just shortly and to Sheila. Written to the church in Corinth, to Christians, to a church. And we say, okay, we know this gospel. We've received this gospel. But what I want you to notice is we must always be reminded about the gospel and realize that it is first priority, both in our own individual lives, but in terms of sharing that with other people. And hopefully you'll see that comes out from the scripture written to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 15, starting verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Amen. And we just pray that God will bless the reading of his word today. So all I'm saying is we need to constantly remind ourselves of the good news of Jesus Christ. When Jesus instituted the breaking of bread and the Lord's table, he said, this do in remembrance of me until I come. And we easily forget things in life, don't we? And we can get bad news in and bad news in. But that's why on a daily basis, you and I need to be reminding ourselves of the good news of Jesus Christ, of our relationship and our salvation in him. And so, you know, some people have asked me recently, what, what does it mean to become a Christian? That's a good question, isn't it? It's a really good question. I'm just going to talk about it. A bit more in a minute but look at the center part it's in white there what is this gospel what's the centrality of the message my my papa adams who's went to be with the lord a number of years ago now james adams by the way my dad's james adams and my name is graham james <laughs> adams i think my name is probably james in the spirit or something <laughs> uh, but i love that because there's that name james that's been uh, passed through but what i was going to say was when my papa used to pray at the breaking of bread uh, they had this service and they had it every Sunday morning and they would meet together and different people would just get up and pray and somebody would read a scripture and it was just an open meeting, it was nice and uh, just people taking part and he would often go up and very strongly but reverently say, for I received what I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins and he used to say, according to the scriptures that he was buried and was raised on the third day according to the scriptures I'm very thankful that in my life, and I know it's not the same in everybody's life, but I was blessed to have grandparents and parents and family and a church where from a young age, whether I agreed, whether I believed it or not, <laughs> or whether I received it or not, I heard it a lot. I heard it a lot. They were heralding this every week. I couldn't miss it. My Papa Adams was saying it every week. According to the scriptures, Christ died for our sins. <laughs> he was buried. Yeah. But this is, we've got to make sure, that that's relatively a simple message, isn't it? Simple in terms of 
It's not complicated. It's deep. It's profound. It's wonderful. But a child like me could understand <laughs> and hear this. What's this? Papa's saying, Christ died for our sins, our wrongdoing. All have fallen short of the glory of God. So you don't know you need a saviour until you know you're a sinner. And I'm thankful also that I had people in my life that told me, son, you're a sinner, you need a saviour. <laughs> you might think you're a good son, but you're not. <laughs> if you've told a lie, if you've got angry and lashed out at somebody, if you've stole anything, if you've cheated on anything, you're well short. And I was told that, but see, average people, and I'm saying this with all due respect, do people know they're sinners today? They won't know unless someone tells them. And I'm thankful. You tell that in love, but you tell it as the truth. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's not a popular message you're going to see in the front of the Daily Record, is it? Or in the headline of BBC News. By the way, we're just telling you this evening that all of you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and you must be born again. We don't hear that in our media. We don't see it in our newspapers. But that's the truth. Is it? And while we have to be loving and caring, the best way I can love you is to tell you this truth, because I wouldn't love you if I didn't. Because if this is true, then it's the most important decision and the most important thing in our lives. Is it true? So there's that. People will look at you and they'll, they'll soon figure out if you're a genuine Christian or not, because they'll see if you love them. You can be straight with somebody but still show love, can't you? Christ died for our sins because we needed a saviour. It's true. He was buried, he paid the price for our sins. He paid the price so that our sins could be removed if we believe in him. He was buried, he was raised on the third day. I'm just gonna move quickly on to the question, how do I know I'm a Christian? Which is a fantastic question to ask. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life it's no good saying i attend church it's no good saying i believe in god it's not good no good even saying i believe that jesus existed what we're saying is i believe that jesus died for my sins i believe that jesus uh, did this for me and that god loves me individually and i believe in the whole thing i believe in that christ died according to the scriptures for me was buried and raised for me Another familiar scripture, Romans 10 and 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and that's my Lord, my Saviour, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a heart issue, not always. You use your head, but you believe in your heart. Yes? And you know when you've made this commitment because your life changes. Acts 2, 38, it says, repent and be baptised, every one of you. Again, what I'm saying to you today is, it might not be the message we're hearing on the TV or the newspaper, but it, but it needs to be heralded. And also, you can't say it without being blunt about it. Repent and be baptised, every one of you. In the name of the, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. He's basically saying, <laughs> Peter, there he's standing up and saying, by the way, you're all sinners and you've all fallen short of the glory of God. Very straight talking. And you must be saved through believing in Jesus Christ. Very direct, but very loving. And he wouldn't have been loving if he hadn't said it. And you received the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
How do I know I'm a Christian? If these things, if you believe these things and you know them in your heart and you know the Saviour in your heart and you confess Jesus as Lord, you will know the difference. True? Peace of God, love of God. Okay, now I'm going to hand over to Uncle Sandy. Thanks very much. Some reflections on the Gospel. Very much, Graham. Everybody hear me okay? Just done my usual. I've made some wee more wee notes to keep me in line. And I'm going to ask Mr. Brown not to record this. <laughs> record Graham's, record Sheila's, but don't record Sandy's. Uh, because you know I kind of deviate from time to time. I just wanted to reflect on a few instances that have been been really big ones for me in relation to the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ came into the world to save us, that we don't need to be bound for a lost eternity, that we can be in the glory with God. So I just want to share a few reflections on maybe kind of significant things in my life. Uh, I've got between five and seven minutes. That's the hard thing. I've, I've prayed the whole night about this because I've got between five and seven minutes. I actually said to Graham in a wee text, I'll speak for five minutes, and he says, no, I don't, don't mind going seven, Uncle Sandy. So that was awfully nice of him. I was saved. In other words, I asked the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart for salvation when I was a, just starting secondary school, and I went to a summer camp up in Fort William, and the reason I went to the summer camp was I was really into sports, I was into badminton, I was into football, I was into table tennis, I was into everything. I just love, I just love sport, I love running, anything to do with sport. And I knew that at the camp there would be a lot of that. Also knew there would be the opposite sex. I knew there would be girls there. And uh, just a bit like school, I also knew that a lot of the girls at the camp would be saying, oh, I want to be Sandy Steen's girlfriend. Uh, and you know how they all did that at school. And uh, I said to myself, well, okay, you know, it's maybe a good reason for going. I might. Margaret says, I wish some of them, some of them had got you, Sandy. <laughs> uh, Margaret, that's why I don't want Joey to record this, but Margaret actually did say that to me. Knowing off, I wish some of them had got you. And that goes to the camp, right? And I've got this in my mind, and oh, it was fulfilled. The sport was fantastic, everything was great, the company was great, and when I was a young man, just starting secondary school, I climbed Ben Nevis. Climbed Ben Nevis. And I climbed Ben Nevis in plastic sandals. I don't know if anybody, the older ones, remember them. These plastic sandals, they used to dig into your feet, and I came down off Ben Nevis and my feet were all cut with these plastic sandals, you know. And anyway, you know, that was my, they were my training shoes at the camp. And, uh, but, but, there was a service every night. I didn't know there was going to be this. And one of the speakers shared that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves everybody here. Jesus went to the cross for you. I'd been at Sunday school, but for some reason or other, on this occasion in the camp, it was a Tuesday evening, 
on this occasion at the camp, this speaker shared the life of Fanny Crosby and how she was blind, but she could see. And I thought, he's daft. That's stupid. How can you be blind and you could see? And he explained how she was able to see spiritually. She was able to see and feel the love of God. And the speaker actually said, look, the bottom line is, if you don't ask the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart, you're going to hell. And these days they didn't muck about, it wasn't that you'll not spend, you'll not spend eternity with God. <laughs> there wasn't any of that, you know, or, or you will be apart from God in eternity. It was simply, if you don't believe this, you're going to hell. That's just how it was explained. It terrified me. I was sitting in my seat and it terrified me. And I thought, well, I've got a sister that's going to heaven. She's Sandra. I've got another sister that I know is going to heaven. I'm pretty sure my mum and dad are going to heaven, even though they're not going to church. And I don't think I'm going. I don't think I'm going. And I went forward after the service and asked the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart. Because of the fear of going to hell, there's all sorts of different reasons you can ask the Lord Jesus into your heart. It was because I was frightened of going to hell. I was terrified, just as a youngster, that I was going to a lost eternity. I was going to be separated from God. But the guys that were speaking, they shared with me the love of God, that Jesus went to the cross. They shared John 3 and 16 and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. So they explained to me, you're not condemned. If you ask the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart, he didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. And that includes you, Sandy. And I asked the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart for salvation, just as a young man. And at the end of the day, uh, I went to church, but I was kind of living you know, I wanted to dip my feet in the world and be a Christian as well. So I wanted the best of both lives, you know, the best of both worlds. I was in a great family. I had two sisters that used to fight to clean my football boots. Sandra and Elizabeth. Have you ever heard the likes of it? And these days, your football boots were lucky in the winter. And they used to fight to clean my football boots. Unbelievable. You'll know that when I married Margaret, she kind of stopped that. That, was, that, that wasn't carried on. But anyway, I began to grasp that Jesus had this sinless birth, a sinless life, and he died and he went to the cross and he rose again. I began to grasp the love of Christ. Just seemed to get, somehow get a hold of this. And the big thing that I was challenged by someday in my teens Sandy, I'm going to say something to you. You need to change inside. You've done that. And you need to change outside. You need to change inside. You need to change outside. When Christ comes into your life, you need to change inside. But you also, in relation to your behaviour, your attitudes, what you say, where you go, what you do, you need to change as well. And at the end of the day, I think I've tried to do that. I think I've tried to do that. I've had a lot of ups and downs around the corner and in corners and back out again. 
And one of the big things that I've experienced is God's forgiveness. It has never ceased to amaze me, amaze me how God's love and compassion never changes. And in a changing world, it never changes. And I've messed things up terribly. And I've sinned terribly. But you know something? God has always had open arms. Come back. Come back. And the important thing for me is being able to repent and to seek God's forgiveness. I remember just one wee thing. I remember one of the speakers in Mother Lebanizer where I went and, 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 and worshipped. And the guys there used to take you out every week to give your testimony. And I remember one of the speakers asked me to go the following Sunday and I says, listen, I can't go uh, because I've had a bad week and my life's not been very good and I've not done really very good things, blah, blah, blah. And he says, for the sake of, for the sake of anonymity, we'll call him Jim Lamb, for the sake of anonymity. And uh, Jim said to me, what are you doing right now, Sandy? No, Jim, Mr. Lamb said, what are you doing right now, Sandy? I said, nothing now. Right, come down to my house, I want to see you. So I goes down to the house, and after being there for a while, and make me a cup of tea, and doing all the things, he said, Sandy, I want to ask you a question. Do you believe forgiveness is immediate? When you repent, do you believe forgiveness is immediate? I says, of course I do. He says, well, that's what you've been taught, isn't it? That God forgives you right away. I says, you're right, Mr. Lamai. How? He says, well, you'll be speaking with me on Sunday if you ask God to forgive you right now, which I'm expecting you'll do. And that's important for you to know that forgiveness is immediate in your life. Like me, forgiveness is immediate. And the big point I want to make here, and I don't know how long I've taken, but maybe too long already, but uh, the big point I want to make is that as, as I went on in my life and I got a wee bit older, and there's always smart people. See, the, the circles I moved in, the circles I moved in, everybody was theological. Everybody professed to be academic. Everybody was smarter than me. Everybody knew more than me. And when I prayed, I was a wee bit frightened to pray because the person that prayed before me usually prayed for about 35 or 40 minutes. <laughs> and they prayed the sermon that they never got asked the week before to go and speak on. And that's how life was. And I was terrified to pray. And I could just have prayed, thank you Lord for saving my soul. Amen. I was frightened to do that because I thought it wasn't good enough. And then somebody says to me, really, really wise, theological person, Sandy, it's good to see that you look as though you've grasped the theology of experience, of gospel experience. I says, what? <laughs> Sandy, it's good to see that you've grasped the theology of gospel experience. I says, that's brilliant, I've grasped that. I don't even know what I've grasped. <laughs> I don't know what I've grasped, but it's great. So it then gets explained to me by somebody that's not trying to be a smart aleck. Sandy, do you know what it simply means? It means that the gospel is a personal experience. That it's not some God up there looking down from a distance and being unhappy with how the world is. It's a personal experience. 
You've asked the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart for salvation. It's a personal thing. It's not a God that's out there somewhere. That's simply what that is. You've had a personal experience with God. God's spoken to you. God's challenged you. God's asked you to walk with him. And you can see the change in your life. It's experiential. You're experiencing it. That's simply what it means. And that was the big thing I was wanting to share with you. And after I share this, I'll finish. Because particularly relating to the Queen when Graham was shown uh, much of the, the, the clips on the screen and the, the quotes and the comments that she had made, it was quite clearly she wanted to follow the example of Jesus. But in relation to the quotes, she didn't only want to follow the example of Jesus. It was quite clear she knew Jesus as her personal saviour. It's two different things. You can look at Jesus, you can look at God, you can look at Jesus and say, he was a great man. He was a wonderful man. He did great things. He healed the sick. He helped the poor. He healed the lame. He healed the blind. He was a great man. And you keep him out there. And Beth Midler sings a song. It's a wonderful song, From a Distance. I think she's great, Beth Midler. I like folk that are a bit mad, but they're good as well. She's a bit nutty, but she's a brilliant singer. And she sings a song, God is watching us from a distance. Have a wee look at it if you, if, you, if you don't know it. It's a great song. But at the end of the day, it's a song that's not, not totally full of truth. God is watching us from a distance. But if God just stays at a distance, then you can't be a personal saviour. <clears throat> so it might be that you're in here today and you recognise how much God loves you, that he gave his son, to, and his son went to the cross and he died for you. It might be that you recognise how good a man Jesus was, but somehow God and Jesus are out there. Everything's good about them, but they're out there. I'm telling you, if you're in here today, get that changed. Because you need to ask him into your life and into your heart. That's the gospel of personal experience. So if you ever meet anybody after you ask the Lord Jesus, say, listen, I'm, I'm, I've got a full understanding of the theology of the gospel experience. Folk will run away from you. But the bottom line is, you need to ask the Lord Jesus Christ into your life and into your heart and make it a, a personal experience. It's not good enough for God to be out there. And it's not to do with works. It's not to do with you doing good. I'll follow Jesus' example. It's not to do with you doing, doing good. And just as I finish, probably in my book, the greatest example of faith and trust and not just doing good to get to heaven is the criminal on the cross. There's a man on the cross and he says to Jesus, if you are the prophet, if you're Jesus, if you've got the power, get us down out of here. And the other one that was standing sit, uh, on the cross beside him says, there's something different about this man. Truly, this man's the son of God. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. He had no time to do any good works.
had no time to do anything. That makes it quite clear to me. It's trust and faith in Jesus that gets you into the glory. But when you have trust and faith in Jesus, you'll want to be different. Inside and outside. You'll want to be dealing with your bad temper. You'll want to be dealing with your anger. You'll want to be dealing with your nastiness. You'll want to be dealing with times that you're upset and annoyed and frustrated at others. That people need to see a difference. And that change is inside. And that change inside reflects change outside. Anyway, I don't know how long I've spoke, but I know it's too long. Sheila, sure. you want to come up? Just for watch her. Between five and minutes. She'll be five and seven minutes. She'll be dead on six minutes. She's absolutely spot on. We love you very much, Sandy. And you presented the gospel really well. And you're a very funny man and you know how to do that. I'm not a funny person. I'm not a funny person, so I can only give you what God has laid on my heart. The only difference between Sandy and I is that I'll do as I'm told and stick to five minutes. <laughs> when Graham said with a share, what does the gospel mean to me? The gospel means everything to me. And when he said, would you share something about the cross? What does the cross mean to me? The cross means everything. The cross of Jesus means everything to me. And when he asked me to share about my salvation, my salvation means absolutely everything to me. And when I think about the Saviour, I think about grace. I just absolutely love the word grace. I got um, Liz to make me uh, a picture with grace in it. Anything about grace just stands out for me. And when I think about grace and I think about the Saviour, I think about more grace and more grace and more grace. And one of Jesus' friends, John, put it really well. We only dip our toes into the ocean of grace, as it were. We're never going to know the real grace, full grace, until we go to heaven. But listen to this. For out of his fullness and abundance we've all received and we've all had a share and we were all supplied with one grace after another. And spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing and even favour upon favour and gift heaped upon gift. For while the law was given through Moses, grace, that unearned, undeserved favour and spiritual blessing and truth came through Jesus Christ, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I found wonderful grace in Jesus when I was um, a child and um, like Sandy, um, I went to church every week and uh, when I was about 10, I asked Jesus to forgive my sins and come into my life. 
I've known great sin in my life too and I've been far away from God at times. But then I've discovered that his grace is greater than all my sin. We sing that and I love that song too. He paid the debt that I couldn't pay on that cross and he paid it with his blood. And he has redeemed me and shown me grace over and over and over and over in my life. And I know a little of what his grace is. His amazing grace. And then in 2 Corinthians, just to kind of think about my life and grace and my life and the gospel, Paul, he was an apostle and it says that Satan sent a thorn, a splinter in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to rack and buffet and harass him. And there is something in my life that does that in me too. And I constantly know God's grace and help with that. Constantly know his grace. And when life's overwhelming for you, and life doesn't make any sense, even as a Christian, you're going through things and you just do not understand what possible benefit they could have in your life. I've been there. His grace is sufficient. And Paul said, can you take this thorn away from me? Can you take this thing away from me that's not of you? And Jesus said to him, the Lord said to him, my grace, my favour and my loving kindness and mercy is enough for you. It's sufficient against any danger and enables you to bear the trouble manfully. For my strength and my power are made perfect and fulfilled and completed and show themselves most effective in your weakness. And a lot of you think I'm strong. I am a weak person and I need God constantly in my life. And that's what the Lord has said to me often. My grace is sufficient for you. So what I do is I bring the mess to him or I bring the predicament about family or about anything else to him and he knows it already and the wonderful thing is that he likes to hear from us and he likes to hear in detail so never be afraid to give the Lord great detail about what's happening and be honest with him because he's he knows how you feel anyway and I pour it out to him and then I look for his grace, his wonderful grace, just to, so that I can make sense of it. Remembering his grace and remembering it's when I'm weak that I am strong. And that's what you two girls need to remember today. It's when you feel you're weak and you're singing, you're strong and you're going to sing for Jesus this morning. You're going to sing for Jesus and we are going to be blessed. And it's the same for any of us. When we're weak, we're strong. 
when you don't feel very great in the coffee house because you're getting old like Kathy, but you're getting on with it. It's in that weakness that you find God's strength. And I've experienced that because times I haven't felt well. And the Lord gives us his strength. So no matter what my situation, no matter what your situation, the Lord will take your weakness and he will give you strength. That's when he's most effective. And then lastly, and not really lastly, I see again God's grace lavished on me when I gaze upon this simple but profound table. Each one of you knows what this means to me and what it means to you. It's a beautiful, simple table. And to think that the Lord took bread and wine before his disciples were going to flee from him before he was going to be crucified is beyond grace. It's grace itself. But then that he did that and left this for me to remember him and left this for you to remember him in taking bread and taking wine and remember what he did for us on that cross. Grace, grace and more grace. What does the gospel mean to me? What does the cross mean to me? What does my salvation mean to me? It means absolutely everything in Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks. Thanks very much, both of us, Andy, for sharing.